0: The show! You have all
1: made it
0: through the damn You have all made it, made it, made it. Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 301. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, we kick off the next 300 episodes with one of my faves. Someone I love working with. Someone who I don't get to see as much as I used to. Someone who took me to lunch after we finished recording this episode. We caught up even more. Some of the best stuff happened off mic. Why do I keep teasing this? It's Peter Moore. Peter Moore is the chairman of the business law department and equity shareholder at Robinson, Waters, and Odorcio. He is currently the general counsel for Major League Rugby, but I know him best as chairman and founder of Vital for Colorado, an organization that unfortunately no longer exists, founded in 2013, ended in 2019, and a client I worked with for four years, four great years. It was one of my favorite things I ever got to work on, and we talk a little bit about it on this week's show. Now, Peter is an absolute rock star. He has 40 years practicing law. He's been both a trial attorney and a transactional attorney. He's active on boards all throughout the city. He's made positive change wherever he's gone. And one of the things I admire about him most is the fact that no matter how much he is involved with, no matter what he's doing, Peter always makes time for you. And he told me early in his career, one of his mentors said that if you want to be a successful attorney... If you want to have longevity in this industry, one of the things that you do is you clear the decks every single night. You return every voicemail, you return every email, and you do that within 24 hours. And because Peter has always been available to me, I'm thinking to myself, he must either operate like Quicksilver from the X-Men, or he must have like 36 hours in a day. Maybe he works on that Men in Black calendar, where it's like 47 hours in a day. Whatever the case... The guy is remarkable. I cannot say enough nice things about him, and I am so happy to catch up. Why did it take me so long to get Peter on the show? Well, it's an interesting point of philosophy that I don't talk about much, but I have my business, Deft Communications. You can check it out on the web, deftco u s. In it, I do all manner of communications activities. So whether that's traditional style PR, I take on a number of writing projects for clients, I do media outreach, I do stakeholder outreach, I do training programs, I will help people get ready for media. I will help them communicate better if they're talking to their employees. And I, of course, have podcasting. Had a meeting today about developing a new show. It's exciting. Getting to work on the creative process like that is phenomenal. That's my day job. John of All Trades. Something I started before I actually had that business. And what I don't want to do is necessarily turn this into some craven commercial for the work that I do. So... Generally, I don't like to feature current clients. I'll make a few exceptions here and there. And I don't like to poach guests from the shows in which I work on because I don't want it to look like one is feeding the other one hand is washing the other. To me, that's just a bad look and something of a conflict of interest. So vital ended two and a half years ago. I hadn't seen Peter in a while. I have no vested interest in this and I admire the man deeply. So I go, Hey, it's about time that I highlight his work. And this week's chat does not disappoint. Because Peter not only has a fascinating overview of law, but also a great journey. He studied in Germany. As I mentioned, he's been both a trial attorney and a transactional attorney. Very few people can say that they've done both. He serves as general counsel for Major League Rugby. He founded Vital for Colorado. He's active in community groups. We talk about the South Metro Chamber, the Colorado Business Roundtable, which, admittedly, full disclosure, is one of my clients. I produce their podcast, Profits and Purpose. But there's a lot here. And what I think you'll get most from it is not only great insight into what it is to practice law at an unbelievable firm like Robinson, Waters, and Odorcio, but the warmth that we have for each other. We worked together extensively for four years, and I cultivated a great relationship with him. I told him at lunch when we wrapped up after we recorded this, I said, Peter, it's been a pleasure to know you professionally. It's been great to collaborate with you on a great number of projects for Vital for Colorado, and I hope I'm not out of line when I say I consider you a friend. He said, I feel the same way. And that was just intensely gratifying for me. So proud to feature him here on the John of All Trades podcast. Episode 301 is with Peter Moore, the chairman of the business law department at Robinson Waters and Odorcio. And his episode starts
1: right now. It started in 2013.
0: Okay. 13. Was that when Dan Haley was doing it?
1: We're, actually, you, either, even before Dan Haley, uh, Rachel Nance. Rachel Nance. Wow. Um, I, I always... The name before Rachel Nance, it was uh, uh, Kristen Strom.
0: Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize... So it's like the Bill Parcells coaching tree. Yeah. I didn't realize how far it branched off like that. Kristen Strom was doing vital work? Yeah. Wow. That's She's wild. She's not
1: on board. Yeah. And uh, uh, Rachel Nance was our first executive director and uh right. uh she and i used to run around give presentations together and uh and then uh, dan haley came on and he, he was great for a while and then yeah.
0: uh then it was rich coolidge and i
1: and then rich and you and yeah three or four other eis people
0: well in the early days peter i remember it was rich and i we both got kind of parachuted in and we're looking at each other like what 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 do we do and so we just kind of figured it out together and that was the days when vital was a little bit leaner right and i i remember that but we got going right away and rich and i both have a very similar kind of mindset like hey let's let's do stuff it's better to do something than nothing right we didn't wait around a lot and we had a board that really emboldened us to do that which was great you you set the direction from the top which was terrific and to this day it's so funny when vital ended in 2019 that was The client I lost that I took the hardest, because that was by far and away my favorite thing I've worked on since I've been on my own.
1: Well, that'd be nice stuff to say uh, in this this talk.
0: (laughs) So since we're into it, this is Peter Moore, and we are in your office at Robinson, Waters, and Odorcio. What is your exact title here? I don't even know. I'm embarrassed. It's amateur hour here.
1: Uh, I'm the uh, chairman of the business law department of the law firm, and I've been practicing law since... 1981. Uh, in, in the past, I've had uh, I've been a managing partner of a mid-sized securities firm. I was a senior partner for a large national firm, and uh, Joan Robinson Waters in 2014, um, ever run its business law department uh, for the last couple of years. Well, what's funny to me is
0: you expressed to me, and so we did the radio together through Vital. Yeah, and we did. I, my goodness, how many episodes did we do together? We did.
1: We did well over 70 hours.
0: Yeah, 70 hours of radio. So we spent a lot of time together, and I've heard you tell a lot of stories. And so I thought, we're far enough away from Vital. I don't like to look across the streams between my professional life and my podcasting life.
1: And uh, Vital, by the way, is referring to Vital for Colorado, which is a uh, nonprofit advocacy group which uh, operated from two thousand. 13 to 2019. Right. You say is, I say was, Yeah. (laughs) which the way that that ended, I don't think we necessarily
0: need to get into that because I still might have a little sour grapes over that, but we were together there. And so I heard you tell a lot of stories and it's funny to me because the way I think of attorneys and the practice of law. And the reason I, I couch it this way is because when I would take aptitude tests, when I was in college, it always said I had a high aptitude for law, but to me, it always felt like doing a lot of homework, just signing up to do homework for the rest of your life. And I was never really into that. But it, at a certain point, I remember you told me you approached your leadership and you said, I want to get involved more in economic development and doing things on a, on a broader level than rather than just focusing on my law firm. Am I remembering that correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, it. It really started about uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine time, time period, and uh, this is the time period that I uh, joined a, a very large firm that um, and several partners in that very large firm uh, had been very involved in the community, and you know, I just went to them. And uh, one fellow who's now passed away, but he was a, a, a great leader in this community, Howard Gelt. Mm-hmm. and he suggested that uh, I go on to the uh, South Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce, meet with John Brackney. And oh, so, Brackney. And so I did and went down there. I had a beer with him, and uh, he just looked at me and said, how would you like to become our general counsel? I said, oh, wow. sure. Uh, if it was Brackney,
0: i bet it was a dark beer, too. It,
1: it, it <laughs> was dark beer, but uh, it was a. had been involved in chambers of Commerce before, but I've never really gone down to uh, – uh, just have a beer and say, you're now our general counsel, but. <laughs> that the, uh, sounds like Brackney, though. He,
0: he had, when I was at, uh, my corporate gig, he had the most interesting pitch meeting I've ever had. He put me on my heels and I bit, like, immediately I go, who is this guy? And I just fired it right back at him. Yeah. He liked that and we were off to the races. We've been pals ever since.
1: Yeah. And, uh, so I, um, I, uh, joined that board and, um, uh, and it was really my, my first effort. It was probably about 12 years ago, uh, 13 years ago and uh, I was very active um, if you want to be active, you can be active and the uh, South Denver metro G- chamber board uh, had about twenty five members and there were all sorts of things that they were involved in so I thought that was great and i was uh I was on that board and actually his general counsel for uh the next five years Wow that's uh, one of the dangers of uh, allowing a lawyer to write your bylaws by the way, <laughs> because a lawyer can write in the bylaws that uh Board members rotate except for the lawyer. And, uh, and, and, and the reason for that is it's, uh, sometimes difficult to find, uh, lawyers, uh, to serve that role.
0: Well, for sure, Peter. And one of the things I'm curious about is if I know anything, and the, the large national law firm, which has remained unnamed and I'm assuming on purpose. My neighbor worked for, I, I used to live next to a guy who worked for that same law firm, and my understanding is, and this can be true of large national firms, it can be a real meat grinder in terms of meeting billable hours and heavy workloads. So when you start getting active in the community, you are obviously taking away from the time that you have dedicated to billable hours. Can you describe the tension there?
1: Well, actually, uh, I was able to negotiate with uh, law firm management, uh, uh, a a role uh so my, my, my title was senior partner okay and uh part of that was to not have the uh crushing hourly obligations um i i had a bunch but but not the same that a first year associate would have what
0: what is that like what what is what is the obligation typically ballpark
1: uh now in a large national firm for a uh, first year associate, uh somewhere around nineteen hundred and fifty hours billable and if per, you, uh, per year. Okay. And if you think about that, it's a very long day because uh let's say that your goal is to have eight or nine hours billable. Yeah. uh, uh you have to get to work, you have to have lunch, and those are eleven and twelve hour days.
0: Oh that's rough. How how did you take to that? When you were coming out and you know, when you were a young lawyer, how were those rhythms for you?
1: Well, when I was a young, young lawyer, uh, back in 1981, roughly the same kind of uh, obligations, um, especially when you're coming up. I worked those hours and, um, didn't have kids at the time. That helps. And, uh, I, I think it was fine. <laughs> you think it was fine? I, uh, I uh, do recall that, uh, you really have to like the practice of law because it takes, it takes an awful lot of time. Sure. And well, then, like I said, signing up to do homework, right? You're doing a lot of reading and writing and. Well, I started off as a uh, trial attorney and, uh. Wow. And I actually tried my first case one week after I was licensed and went down to Pueblo and, uh, representing GMAC and three day trial. A bit of trial by fire, but, uh, I like trial work an awful lot. No
0: and, pun intended, right?
1: Uh, <laughs> none. None, but, uh, I was uh, predominantly uh, a trial attorney in mid-sized regional firm from the time I graduated to through about 2005, but I started to transition into transactional work. Okay. Um and in most law firms there are major divisions of whether you're a trial attorney or uh, a transactional attorney, then within the uh, transactional work there are a thousand shades of, uh, I won't say shades of gray, but, uh, <laughs> There are there are many different types, and um, uh, I started doing more and more transactional work, and then uh, went to a uh, securities law boutique. They had about 18 lawyers, and all the lawyers were from the, S- uh, were from the SEC or the NESD, oh, and, and these these were regulatory lawyers. My partner at the time, Dennis Graham, was appointed by the governor to be uh, uh, a member of the Colorado Court of Appeals, and Dennis was just one of the best um, trial lawyers, and in, in in terms of securities law, uh, so uh, it, it it's almost like let Mikey do it uh, in terms of the Wheaties commercial, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and so I became the managing partner of that law of that law firm. Wow! Uh, through about two thousand eight, and then uh, some of the folks in that firm began to retire. The uh, uh, law firm uh began to shrink a little bit, and I went the other direction, which is, well, I've never been, never been a partner in a large law firm. might be a theme here. I uh, <laughs> went out for a beer with the managing partner of that law firm, and uh, uh, we talked about it, and he essentially uh, offered me a job there, there, too. Wow. I'm pretty sure I bought the beers in both instances. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked out for you. I mean, an in, in investment well made. And we, that's, that's uh, probably not a traditional uh, method to join law firms. Well, I, and, and and it's not our method here.
0: <laughs> well, who's to say what's what's traditional, what's conventional? As long as it gets the job done, right? I yeah. mean, we, we've talked about resourcefulness. And Peter, I'm struck by one thing when I joined Vital for Colorado, because when when you start engaging in public outreach work and getting involved in ballot measures and issues of public controversy. There's a lot of folks out there that I like to refer to as professional meeting attendees, right? They will just go around town and sit on all, you know, boards and engage in in these issues. And they're sort of moving one things from one column to the other. When I looked into you, you have so many awards and accolades as a lawyer. And when I began to understand that, that, oh, okay, so Peter is like a serious lawyer. He's got incredible ethos here. He's got an unparalleled CV yet you're still involved in all this stuff with all these people all about town. I thought this dude must have 36 hours in a day, just each day. And I was amazed at just how many different types of things you were involved in. And you seem to do it all so effortlessly and one other follow-up point here is you expressed to me that you came up in a system where you always cleared your inbox and returned all your calls by the end of a day. So yeah. within 24 hours, you always got back to everyone. That is unusual. And so I'm curious about how you managed to balance all that as as you're taking on both legal work and public advocacy work.
1: Well, I was uh, very fortunate. Uh, my first law firm, a uh, great law firm, it's... Uh it dissolved in 2002, but, but it was around for 50 years. Wow. And the law firm was Clanahan Tanner downey Knowlton. And uh, seven or eight of the lawyers here at Robinson Waters are from Clanahan Tanner.
0: Oh, they're alums? That's cool. Uh, and,
1: and so when I rejoined uh, this law firm, I, I, I saw it as somewhat of a continuation of the ethic of Clanahan Tanner. Uh, Dave Knowlton, one of the founders of the firm, uh, that firm was founded in uh, 1949 – and uh resume his own as Blake Heaster, and tanner mm-hmm. and uh on the second floor of the equitable building and then uh over time, we ended up in the fourth and fifth floors of the equitable building so we uh, did move around a little bit in between but we uh started and and ended there and uh that was a thirty five lawyer firm uh dave Knowlton uh and dick downing uh were my mentors and uh it was back at a time period when uh, senior lawyers spent serious time with uh, younger lawyers to encourage them how to practice law well. And uh, uh, Dave Knowlton, in particular, um, um, had that role, hmm. which is you don't leave unless you return all phone calls, period. Wow. And uh, uh, I was there for quite some time and became a partner at that firm in 1990 We for uh, different reasons ended up um, uh, blowing up and dissolving and going to 18 different law firms <laughs> in 2002. Yeah. Uh, but it's like the Big Bang. It was uh, very upsetting at the time because when a law firm begins to unzip, and it could be even a great law firm, uh, it unzips pretty fast. Hmm. And uh, Wh- Why? I, I can't really uh, – um, I don't really understand what the motivations of every person was, but um, I will tell you uh, one story is that uh, that law firm was – because of the uh, changes in uh, the Denver market and and, uh, we were very heavy in oil and gas work, uh, Mm -hmm. there was a feeling that we should associate with a large national law firm out of (sighs) Texas. And uh, there there are a couple of them and very well known. (laughs) I could probably guess. Sure. And uh, uh, we uh, talked to them and they were interested – our managing partner at the time, um, did the negotiations and, uh, it's sort of like sending your best girl out to date other people <laughs> and, uh, and expecting, uh, expecting her to come back and expecting a great result. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, uh, I think that our effort to, uh, merge and join and yet have the expectation to maintain the vitality of uh, wow. the Denver office was probably unrealistic. We uh, uh, were successful in terms of uh, sending groups of uh, lawyers to almost every law firm in town that I can think of. <laughs> and then uh, It's like the, a fantasy draft. And then the largest group actually came to uh, this law firm that I'm describing uh, gotcha. uh, because two of the founders, Clint a. and Tanner and the son of the, thir- of the third of the four uh, founders – uh, came to us at uh, Chris Boyle. Okay. Uh, so there were about nine lawyers that left Klein and Tanner and also associates and paralegals and uh, admin staff, and uh, we doubled the size of that law firm. Wow. So, I mean, the way you're describing this to
0: me, you've both been a trial lawyer and a transactional lawyer. When we were working on Vital, Vital was pretty heavy in energy policy as well as, like, land use, things like that. But you said – to me and i remember this quote you said i'm mostly a sports lawyer now I and i thought wow okay so <clears throat> i knew you had background in this but i'm interested in the sports angle because you are the general counsel for major league rugby
1: right.
0: which is really really cool major league rugby founded here in colorado founded in glendale if i'm
1: not there's mistaken a here. meeting in uh, fall of 2016 and uh, there were a number of teams uh wanted to form a professional uh, sports league that would be sanctioned by USA Rugby, which in turn is sanctioned by World Rugby. Nice. Uh, so this would be a sanctioned professional league in the U.S. and Canada. And uh, the 2016 beginning actually began back in 2011 and 12 because there were a number of teams, some of which were there in 16. That also explored that idea. Okay. And I had done the work in uh, 2011 and 12, as well as a senior partner at the national firm, and we had lots of resources. And uh, among the resources that you need are uh, tax lawyers, international tax lawyers, that understand hmm. uh, how corporations and LLCs are treated in different uh, countries and how monies are treated under the U.S.-Canadian tax treaty and uh, how things are – Taxed in Canada, things are taxed wow. in the U.S. So, w- with um, some very good lawyers uh, at that firm, I was able to figure that out. And the 2011-2012 uh, effort uh, didn't uh, did not go forward, but we had developed uh, a game plan as to how to uh, develop such a league. Uh, I think a few of the folks remember that uh, I had done that. They probably wanted to save a buck, and they say, "Well, <laughs> sure." Uh, so, so it was actually the uh, Team in Houston, uh, they called me up and said, "Peter should uh, do this." And I've been fortunate um, uh, to be in the role of uh, general counsel uh, from from the get go. And now it's uh, two thousand twenty one. Uh, we just finished our fourth full season. Uh, we now have thirteen teams. The uh, team in uh, Glendale uh, withdrew from Major League Rugby for its own reasons. In in uh 2020 i believe and 2020 was a a a challenging year because the hell you say
0: because
1: (laughs) we uh stopped our season uh after five weeks because of COVID, and uh and we did so uh during a week that i think that uh mlb uh, it, it was just one shoe after another. I think MLB closed on a Wednesday. We decided to close on a Thursday. Was this
0: March 11th, March 12th? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that because that was when the NBA shut down right. because I landed in Phoenix, Arizona on March 11th. And then, uh, we watched basketball shut down. We were at a brew pub. And no one knew anything. And then the night that was the first domino to really fall. So it sounds like major league rugby was part of that.
1: We were, and uh so we stopped the season, and uh one of the great things that we did is that we paid all the players for the entire season, even though we didn't play fantastic um and not a lot of people do that not, no. not, not aware of uh any other professional sports league that's uh, done that, but um, um, um we knew that we'd uh, come back the next year and we uh had developed an awful lot of goodwill with the players, sure, and uh, so we had some more planning time, and then uh, uh, we just finished uh, an eighteen-week season uh, in Los Angeles two weeks ago uh, with the championship game with the Rugby Atlanta uh, against the Los Angeles team, with uh, Los Angeles winning. Hmm, cool, that's very good, and 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 that game was uh, broadcast on CBS Sports, uh, nice. and. Um, Nice two-hour slot on a Saturday, and we played in the Coliseum. There's almost uh, no better place in the world to uh, yeah. play football than the Coliseum. That's iconic. It's, it was a great day, too. It's, it's funny
0: that you bring up 2011, too, because in 2011, I was in London. My wife and I were staying with some South African guys, and it was during the Rugby World Cup. Yeah. And so South Africa, rugby, huge there. Love the spring box. And so as we sat next to him. He was a great ambassador for the game because he helped us understand the rhythms of play and here's why this guy's doing this and here's why that didn't work, so on and so forth. I thought, man, this is really, really fun. It sounds like you attended the uh, Churchill Cup in Infinity Field. <laughs> and what what str- I asked him, I said, how is the American team? And he said, not the best, but getting better. And I can tell you, and this is his words, that the rest of the world really doesn't want that to happen because as soon as... American athletes who otherwise might play in the NBA or the NFL or one of the other sports that's more popular in America, America is going to be really, really tough to beat. So you being on the front lines of Major League Rugby, how has the growth of rugby looked? How has it been? Where are we today versus where we are uh, a decade ago?
1: Well, uh, the reason that World Rugby through USA Rugby uh, and also in Canada, it's um, it's uh, Rugby Canada, I believe. A main focus uh, is to develop grassroots uh, rugby from grade school all the way up through college uh, and, it, and to have an opportunity to play rugby professionally. It sounds like what USA
0: Soccer is trying to do.
1: There's an awful lot of excitement and uh, a little plug, um, we have a... Uh, uh, an app which we developed this year is called the Rugby Network and it's something you download to your Apple phone and you can see every game on your phone or tablet or computer for free with uh, some blockouts. Sometimes we have a CBS, a Fox Sports game that, uh, that they that have to block that because the uh, game is being shown live sure. on, on the linear uh, channels. Uh, but in general, then also there's uh, content, uh, which uh, the Rugby Network, uh, has. And our partner with regard to this is uh, Sky Network. Oh, wow. Uh, And there's a great desire of a great number of people to develop uh, the rugby ethos in the U.S. Uh, We now have 13 teams. We have um, a probability of uh, uh, expansion teams as early as next year in some major U.S. markets. Um, And um, um, I would think that... Come five years now. We're going to have 2025. We're going to have a cash-flowing team uh, league. We'll uh, uh, have players that will be passing back and forth. We already have players that are passing back and forth from the English, um, from the English uh, leagues, wow. uh, French leagues, New Zealand leagues, and Polynesia. I mean, uh, probably somewhere at least around 25 to 30 percent of our players are from abroad. Wow. Uh, even though a major focus of Major League Rugby is to develop American players, um, so with the addition of these uh, of these internationals, I think we call them, I, I think that's what Franco called them too, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> different time, different place. Yeah, but, let's uh, hope so. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's a real mixture, and uh, there's an awful lot of effort that's going into it, and I'm very excited about the 2022 season because we paid – a full season and didn't have a single game knocked out because of COVID or the pandemic. Nice. Uh, didn't always play to uh, a stadia that had a full set of fans. But by the end of the year, uh, I think there were uh, close to seven, 8,000 fans uh, for the finals. And for a startup league, that's, that's a good fan that, group. That is, and it's going in the right direction.
0: I feel like I would be doing a dereliction of duty if we didn't get into this for just a second. Describe what a general counsel does in this role. So for Major League Rugby, you are general counsel. What do your duties include? What types of things do you work on?
1: Spent uh, spend a lot of time drafting contracts. Okay. Um, and the types of contracts would be sponsorship contracts. And mm-hmm. uh, our major sponsors this year included uh, American Airlines, Geico. Nice. Uh, and uh, Guaranteed Rate. And then um, about 20 other uh, contracts, so lots of sponsorship con- uh, contracts, uh, and then we have, 450, f- uh, players. And so we have employment contracts and, uh, multiple styles of employment contracts. So, uh, helped along with the help of other lawyers, yeah. uh, here and elsewhere, uh, to develop, uh, a form of player contract. We have, uh, a professional staff. Uh, There are issues that come up in uh, copyright and trademark uh, Mm. quite, quite frequently. Um, And um, uh, so when you're a general corporate lawyer, uh, you're not really a John of all trades, but perhaps you're a (laughs) Jack of all trades. Right. Uh, And probably one of the last few ones uh, that exists in law because law – It's becoming more and more specialized. And so oh, like uh, everything
0: else, I mean, you you think back 50 years ago, someone could just be a scientist, right? There are no scientists anymore, just like there probably aren't very many, quote, unquote, generalist lawyers.
1: Well, uh, the the last area and uh, in the large law firm, the uh, characterization of the corporate lawyers, there are about 50 of them in that law firm in in various cities. We had offices in 24 U.S. cities. Uh, at the end, uh, 1920, the beginning. As a group, you have you, you are a generalist, but you really have to associate yourself with uh, many other lawyers because you can identify a trademark issue, but then you need a soft IP lawyer to implement the plan. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and the same is cross-board with regard to almost everything. Uh, I work with the head of our tax department, almost everything I do. Uh, I work with our head of our employment law department. Uh, on almost everything I do, and I should plug them: uh, Julie Lappin, head of our employment law department, and Nick Thompson, head of our tax law department. Sure. And so that—that's really why you need to uh, be within uh, a somewhat sizable group. And it's why I left the Crisp Oil law firm because it had gotten down to ten lawyers, and people were mm-hmm. retiring, and I. I felt that was uh, too small of a group. Yeah, there's going to be a hard ceiling on that. Uh, but uh, a group such as ours, 35 lawyers, uh, especially given the quality of the lawyers around here, I mean, yeah. more than, I think something close to 60% of our partners are identified as best lawyers in America. Nice. And best lawyers in America in general uh, is uh, is a peer rating, and they try to identify the top 4 to 5%, so we have – Sixty percent, uh, you're doing a very good job. But you also have a whole host of super lawyers, and we have a number of lawyers uh, internationally rated in Chambers USA. Uh, and my partner, um, Betty, Ar- Betty Arkell and Steve Siegel and I wrote the preamble for uh, Chambers USA, and I think we're going to write next year, for Corporate M&A in uh, Colorado. So uh, those are the accolades that we uh, focus on. And most lawyers focus on the same kinds of things, but I think sure. you've had uh, uh, a fairly good run with regard to those. Well, so, I mean, it sounds like what you
0: ultimately want to assemble there, you have an overrepresented share of the top lawyers of America in this firm is what you're describing to yeah. me. To that end, you become like the 1927 Yankees, <laughs> right? You know, like it's just one after another after another. You go, oh, okay, you know, who who is – Who's the best person in tax law? Oh, it's at this firm. Who's the best person in M&A kind of thing? It's at this firm. Oh, wait a minute. It's all in the same building.
1: Well, there are uh, – On the uh, same floor in the same office. There are a great number of very top law firms in town. and Certainly. Uh, we th- and, and we think that we're one of them. Uh, and we also have a great number of people that are uh, expats from large law firms such as myself yeah but there are many others uh so we think that we uh can have the fleetness of foot and uh more uh efficiency in terms of cost sure uh, and yeah, hopefully uh that's clear enough expression yeah uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's cost it's, efficient sure and uh um and also immediacy and and, and the people that you want to hire will do the work, yeah, so it won't be delegated down, won't be delegated yeah. down, you won't be training. Uh, first year associates or paralegals. We can handle, um, very, very sophisticated work. So, really strong areas in the law firm. We're actually a nationally rated law firm in terms of franchise law. Wow. Uh, under, according to best lawyers, we're a tier one national firm. Jeez. And we represent hundreds of franchisors with a whole group of lawyers here read by, uh, led by my partner, Doug Ferguson. And, uh, we, uh, have a, uh, 16 Uh, Lawyer Business Law Department, uh, uh, and then within that department, eight or nine uh, very well-known corporate lawyers and corporate finance lawyers. And one of our lawyers, uh, Betty Arkell, was recognized by best lawyers in five different areas, including uh, the Venture Capital Lawyer of the Year in Colorado. Wow. So, uh, and then real estate is another area where uh, commercial real estate, we do an awful lot of uh, landlord leasing and... Development work, uh, we're involved in probably the two of the biggest developments uh, currently in the last five years, next five years. Uh, these are really big developments, one by the airport and one by Lone Tree. So, Peter, as I'm listening to you describe
0: this, this is 40 years now that you've been practicing law, and yeah. you still have great enthusiasm for it because you you perk up and you speak with vigor when you talk about these people and this work that you're doing, which is, to me – just very gratifying and and wonderful to listen to. Take me back. What was it about law that drew you to it? I, I mean, I told you what sort of the way I looked at it and maybe is a demerit on my part. But in terms of you, what drew you to law or what led you to that choice?
1: Well, I hate to admit myself. I'm a piece of flotsam, on uh, a sea. I'm floating around, but uh, – <laughs> is, is that it's, Bukowski? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something like that. I think yeah. – yeah i, I think
0: you uh, 've you 've sanded off the rough edges on a Bukowski quote, which feels like your style and I'm, I, I just have to I have to say to you also i 'm disappointed that you didn 't begin this conversation by saying I was built in the house my grandfather built right which when we were doing mic tests for vital for Colorado radio right was always what you led with
1: well uh, few people may not know that those are the opening words of richard nixon 's uh, biography. I was born in the house my grandfather built. I'm, and, and at this
0: point, I'm well aware of that.
1: And uh, and it uh, is. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny, but it's pretty odd sense of humor. I well, it, well, that. and
0: it's fairly obscure too. <laughs> <It's> very obscure. <laughs> I mean, not not many people have the opening line of Richard Nixon's biography just floating right on top there. But you're gonna bring it to the forefront, even if they've never read it. It's something that I think about frequently.
1: Well, my uh, background, I was born in Canada. My family uh, grew up in uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, Since so many people have left Buffalo, it's a great place to be from. (laughs) And uh, my uh, older brother um, was an academic, uh, and he guided me to some degree. My mother also had uh, uh, taught at the college level, and uh, uh, she – uh, had a very interesting background in terms of United Nations in Canada, um, and she spoke many languages, and and her her heritage uh, was uh, Swedish, and so I, I had somewhat of an international bent, and um, uh, so lucky enough to go to college in Washington D.C. at uh, one of the, one of the five colleges called the School of Foreign Service. Uh, which originally was intended to be a preparatory school for the State Department Foreign Service. And um, the Foreign Service program is a very, very broad humanities um, type of course, uh, but broader than uh, more colleges. And uh, our dean at the time, Peter Crow, had a um, a TV show on PBS. Uh, He looked like Warren Beatty and uh, (laughs) – always looked like a million dollars, and at our graduation, he said, our goal is to have taught you to speak well at a cocktail party on any topic. Huh. Good luck. <laughs> Off, uh, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, that's much of a uh, a plan, but that was the
0: idea, and then – That, that skill set has more utility than it would appear at first blush.
1: It, it, it certainly has had utility in law. Yeah. Uh, had a brief stint at the University of Heidelberg in West Germany, uh, re- received a fellowship to, uh, and that was the West German government and, uh, I think they were trying to get people from around the world to come to their schools to learn about West Germany and speak well of West Germany when they came back and, and, uh, keep, the, keep the American troops there hopefully. Um, <laughs> sure. And, uh. Have ran- you retained German? Well, I, uh, I, I do plan to go this fall. Uh, with my wife. Uh, my uh, wife, in 1978, she was going to, uh, as a junior abroad, in, our, in a summer program at a university about 60 miles away from Heidelberg called Schwabisch Hall. Uh, so we were both there, but didn't, didn't know each other. So I ran out of money and uh, literally <laughs> found up my mother, who was pretty resourceful, and asked her to Fun round, and this is about a week week and a half before law school start started. And uh, try to find the best deal. She did, <laughs> and uh, the best deal was uh, here in Colorado, and had uh, at had a job and have a half scholarship. And uh, wow. combination of those two is you can come here and and get along. There was nobody in my family was a lawyer, and I uh, went through the law and uh, law school and did a lot of things in law school. Liked it. Started working for. Law firms as a law clerk and so. but but
0: but why what what was it about the law I mean so so you go to uh, Germany and and you're in foreign services so, so, it sounds like you're set up so to so I also something else. signed
1: up for uh, a JD M A Ph program at UVA.
0: <laughs> a JD M A Ph program right that's uh, that's like an eye chart Peter that's
1: well it, that's it, so it, many letters after one name it, it, it's the kind of stuff you do if you're interested in public international law. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, So it's uh, foreign affairs um, and uh, international relations. Okay. uh, Would be the uh, masters and the PhD, and then uh, UVA had a very very strong public international law program. Okay. Again, I had an older brother who sort of had done this and and was teaching at at Princeton at the time Hmm. at the Woodrow Wilson School, and uh, but I just decided that was way too much school. I was trying to figure out and I yeah. said, Well, law school sounds reasonable and and I came here, I liked it, I like it now. Yeah. Uh and that's probably the real answer to your question, which is it's a uh a great profession but you have to like it and not, not everybody does. No. And, and you can't even predict. <laughs> and you can't even predict when you interview somebody if they really are going to like the practice lot long term. But it really is a privilege, uh, and the privilege is meeting the clients and helping them and, and, uh, you know, something different every day.
0: Well, in, in many ways, I mean, the, you know, there's, there's jokes about how almost everyone in their job ultimately becomes a counselor. And so, I mean, lawyers of counsel, you know, general counsel, that kind of thing. But in many ways, depending on the kind of law you're doing, you are interacting with people when they desperately need you the most a lot of areas of law, there's real stakes on the line, there's crisis points. And so you have to be trusted counsel, not only from a professional kind of expertise standpoint, but also from a person to person standpoint. In your estimation, what is the percentage uh, in which those are important? Are they roughly equal? Or does one sort of outweigh the other? Or does it depend on what area of law you're in?
1: That's a hard question, just off the top of my head. Uh, I think that almost anybody who practices law at a sophisticated high level has the knowledge and expertise, sure uh, that's like a prerequisite and, right and that really is um, just assumed and then clients um will only ask you to do serious work if they trust you ah. and they only can trust you if they know you <laughs> and they uh and they must have known you for a long time. Hmm. And so um, I, I, I think that the ability to generate and instill trust uh, in a client uh, and uh, to convey competence, uh, to convey honesty, that you'll do the work fairly uh, and you'll meet the uh, time uh, constraints mm-hmm. for the work. All of that's kind of bundled together in terms of trust. I, I can't think of uh, any practice a law at least uh, at least in terms of criminal practice law, uh, of uh, civil practice law is what I meant to say uh, that it doesn't really start with the attorney client trust relationship uh, and then you have to earn that trust and maintain the trust and literally do it every day
0: wow you're,
1: you're proving yourself every single day you should try
0: in terms of my business peter so as as just a communications consultant doing PR. I have to stay hungry and I have to justify what people are paying me every day. And I want to prove that value to them. I want to convey that value. So to that end, it's very similar. One thing I want to, and we're running out of time, but I want to make sure we touch on this. So bear with me here. This is going to be a bit of a long setup. So you are responsible for the only DeLorean I've ever seen in real life because you own at least one, right? Right. How many
1: Deloreans? The one you're thinking of, I actually sold. You in did the, in, in the spring of this year to some guy <laughs> in a, some guy in Australia. But I have another one that uh, <laughs> that uh, three of us are rebuilding. And okay, there's a group called Rocky Mountain Deloreans. Okay, before and, before yeah. you get there, before yeah. you get there.
0: So <laughs> we used to record uh, our radio show for Vital for Colorado. Sometimes we pre-record it. Sometimes we do it live on Friday afternoons. And I've never told you this before, but I've told Rich this. I've told a handful, a small handful of other people. I always knew if you liked the show that we just did, because it was similar to Johnny Carson inviting comedians over to the couch after they performed. Right. If they got invited over, you knew Johnny liked their set. <laughs> <laughs> right? You Like, you remember this as a Tonight Show convention. The way I knew... You like the show we just did is if you invited the guests to come look at your cars. I could tell, like if, if you invited them, you said, "Are you are you into cars? Would you like to come see them?" And then you'd take them back to this warehouse where it was where your Delorean was housed, and sometimes you'd have other cars in there too. But I always knew we did a good show if you invited the guests back to look at the cars. That's- if we didn't, I go, Uh-oh, <laughs> that, "That one wasn't that one wasn't for the Hall of Fame."
1: Well, uh, also uh, sometimes I may have had to just go. Well, no, and, sure, and, and I mean that—that's an
0: extenuating circumstance. But, you can't do uh, anything about. It, but all things being equal, if you made that overture to them,
1: the uh, radio studio um, that we operated from for uh, years—I'm trying to figure out—it was at least four years, maybe five. Yeah, uh, it, it was the front. It was part four. Of it a, was four. Yeah, it was the front part of a building, of a twenty thousand square foot building, and then. Uh, right behind the radio station was a general warehouse yeah. and with a huge green screen in it too, uh, one of the biggest I've ever seen. Huge, actually, I think it was the largest green screen in Colorado. I think so, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, so there were media activities going on there. It was a party space. It was a meeting space. Uh, Gail Denninger owned the building of right. Cap Logistics, and he had graciously given us about two thousand square feet in the corner. And I think part of it was, uh, he wanted to have some eye candy, uh, <laughs> for his party. So, uh. Some fun stuff to look at, sure. A, a, a little DeLorean uh, museum. And, uh, but we also, uh, uh, still have, um, uh, an active workspace there. And we had mills and all the tools cool. and, uh, uh, lifts and all the stuff you need to rebuild cars. We, uh, probably have four or five extra DeLorean engines tucked in the corner Jeez. there. Uh, and we're trying to uh, also rebuild a 1954 Mercedes 170D Nice. and currently uh, three DeLoreans.
0: Well, I, that was always just an added bonus for me because on the wall too, you had like the time circuits from Back to the Future. Yeah. And, so be, and, and that is the first movie I ever remember seeing in theaters as a kid. And it's still to this day one of my favorite movies of all time. So the fact that there was a real-life DeLorean and sometimes more than one, in this space, I go, man, this is great. What a client. Like, how how phenomenal is this just for me personally? So well, that, that was always an added benefit Miguel Well, Gail
1: uh, uh, founded the Colorado Business Roundtable, and uh, he used the uh, DeLoreans kind of as a prop. Uh, the president of the Business Roundtable uh, some years ago was a uh, former Governor Engler uh, out of uh, – he was a governor of Michigan. Mm. And so they filmed a, uh, a two- or three-minute spot where uh, – I guess Governor Inglis sitting in my car yeah. opens up the door and says, you know, think about the past is wonderful, but, and then he went into his pitch, but the future is bright. <laughs> and they, uh, it was just kind of a good transition. So sure. Gil, so Gil, uh, I think filmed the cars and used it for those purposes too. as sort of, uh, sort of, uh, uh, props for his, uh, video stuff.
0: Okay. Peter, as we wrap up Robinson Waters and Ordorcio. You are – you're here. You're fully entrenched. You still seem to love the work. What do you see ahead? Uh, like wh- the road ahead of you, are there things you haven't done that you still want to? Do you have something on the horizon that you are pushing towards? Just give us a look ahead.
1: Well, one uh, – uh, and I mentioned it very, very briefly. I'm also um, on the board of directors. My primary nonprofit is the Colorado Business Roundtable. Certainly. In full and- disclosure, a client of mine, I produce their podcast and uh if one wants to go see it it's uh c o b r t dot com and uh one of my goals over the last three or four years is try to i guess develop help develop the organization so it becomes self sufficient and I think we did that beginning last year yeah and so we now have uh um, twenty five board members, uh some of the very largest employers um, in uh, Colorado. Uh, AT&T, Boeing, Lockheed, Chase. iHeartMedia. Uh, iHeartMedia, Jacobs Engineering. Certainly. Uh, and a number of local companies and also, uh, a number of very prominent nonprofits. Uh, one of the big pieces of work that we did this year was to, uh, draft, uh, somewhat for the legislature and the governor, a road to recovery, which we published, uh, last fall. And then this year, we're trying to come up Road to Recovery 2.0. Nice. And, and we kind of have been invited by the governor to uh, present to him a number of times. Uh, he reaches out. And so we're trying to become uh, a voice of business. Uh, and we're trying to be nonpartisan. We're just really trying to view things from the point of view of what is good for business in Colorado right now. And um, so I am pushing that. Uh, we're about to have a retreat next week among these 25 board members and and that'll probably And when this pro- airs this week. Yeah. So and uh and so that's probably uh uh my main pro- focus uh at work uh to um help to become major league rugby to be as ses- successful as it can be and keep the business law practice at this firm well organized and those would be my three jobs uh, not going anywhere uh I'm uh, 65 now. Wow. Uh, and I imagine I've been doing this for quite some time.
0: <laughs> well, that's phenomenal. And God, any time you can find that, something that keeps you going like that, and you obviously have great enthusiasm for it, is just energizing, Peter. So this is the time on the show when we do plugs. Where can people find you? Any organization you want to plug, whether that's Major League Rugby, Colorado Business Roundtable, Robinson Waters and Ordorio, anything at all. The plugs are yours. Give us the, the web addresses, anything you'd like.
1: Well, thanks a lot. Let's start off with the law firm. Uh, it's, uh, fairly simple. It's www.rwolaw.com. And, uh, in there you'll, you'll see my hopefully smiling mug somewhere on the website. Uh, if you'd like to learn a little bit about, uh, Cobert, um, uh, you'll also find my smiling mug on, on that website. And that's, uh, www.cobrt, dot uh, com. And Major League Rugby uh is really exciting. Um, you know, during the season which is gonna start next uh uh February two thousand twenty two, uh hopefully with uh fourteen teams. We've we have 13 right now. That can be found at uh uh majorleaguerugby.com. and uh there's an awful lot of content on that. There are apps and uh lots of exciting stuff to look at. And I think rugby's uh is has come to America and will expand in five years. People will say I was there back when. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Well, all of that can be found on the
0: companion blog piece. That's John of all trades.us. That's J O N of all trades.us. Also in the show notes. If you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your pods, you can find me there. Peter Moore, you have always been one of my favorite people to work with. I'm glad I got to feature you here finally. And, uh, In whatever you do next, I hope we're connected, and I wish you nothing but continued success.
1: Thanks, John. I really appreciate it.
0: And that'll do it for episode 301 of the John of All Trades podcast with Peter Moore, chairman of the business law department at Robinson, Waters, and Odorcio, former colleague of mine, and someone I consider a friend. Be sure to check out those links he mentioned on the companion blog piece at johnofalltrades.us. You can also find all of my previous 300-plus episodes there. If you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods, leave us a rating, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button, brand new episodes come directly to you. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, creating some sort of online campaign, doing advertising, marketing, social media space, the internet in general, 4Degrees has taken what it's learned from campaigns, applied it, businesses of all sorts so no matter what you're doing four degrees probably help you do it better and reach the audiences you need to reach so number four d-e-g-r-e dot e-s tell them johnson you can find me on social media at j-o-a-t pod that's across platforms facebook twitter snapchat pinterest and instagram new episodes drop on wednesdays episode previews go up on mondays that's facebook only I'm out of here for this week. We'll be back here very soon with a brand new episode of the John of All Trades podcast. Thank you for being with me for 300 plus episodes. I cannot wait to hear you again. And until I do say good night, Gracie.
1: That's good, Johnny.